Here's a question. How does an ordinary person land their dream job in the sports industry immediately after graduating? Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I'm Ruben Williams. And I'm Ryan Walker. In 2017, we said goodbye to exams and hello to full-time work. This is a behind-the-scenes reveal of exactly how the best sports industry professionals in the world created careers that most only dream of. We believe every dream job in sport is worth chasing, and that's why we want to give you the tools to make it a reality. For a proven process to getting jobs in sport, download our free ebook. How to Get Jobs in Sport, The Sports Grad Method. You can get this for free at www.sportsgrad.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ruben Williams and with me as always is the electrifying Ryan Walker. How are you, Ryan? I'm going great, Rubes. It's great to be back on and what a big start of the year it's been, and I'm uh, I'm stoked about tonight, just quietly. Um, how are you going? I'm well, I'm well. You know, I always get up and about when I see you excited about different things. So, yeah. my guess is that it's, uh, you know, the BBL finals are on. You're heavily involved in the BBL finals. So, I can see you got a bit of a springy step now that's getting close to the end of the year. It's, uh, it's the pointy end. It's, you know, where... What are we? Fifty odd games down. There's two to go. Big semi final this Thursday, and then the the big one, the big grandy on Saturday. So no, it's an exciting time to be in cricket, um, but also as a fan, there's just so much sport happening right now, and it's good to see cricket at the forefront, which which is awesome and great to experience as someone working in cricket as well. So I know you'll be um, you'll be tuning in, no doubt, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, our guest today is also going to have a have a big part in in all that. Aaron Wharton from the from the Sydney Sixers, who have done extremely well uh, this season. Ryan, he he had we had a fascinating chat with him around, I guess, the diversity of of his role in quite in what uh, is not a, not a typical job. Yeah, we did it. Like awesome, awesome bloke. Like, we we love as obviously we, we've known him for a few years now, which is. Great to catch up with him again. A little bit harder now because he's he's actually living up in Sydney and we're we're in Melbourne still. But um, no, it was awesome. And I think one of the great points he said at the start, which I didn't know about, as was that he uh, he started his sporting sort of career and, and work in, in a sports centre, which seems to be a breeding ground for for people wanting to work in sport. Um, I must say, well, I'm only saying that because I did as well, Rose. But um, it just kind of shows how good you know, starting at that sort of, not grassroots, it's obviously higher than grassroots, but sort of that that level of, of working in sport gives you a great insight. So, um, no, it was great hearing about that. I didn't know that about Aaron either. The other thing that I, I loved hearing about from him was that he had had experience across Cricket Victoria and Cricket New South Wales, which are the two state cricketing bodies in Australia that look after two BBL teams each. And so, just understanding the structure of, how each of those organisations operate and, you know, control two very competitive teams each was extremely interesting because there's, there wouldn't be too many other teams in the world that are operated by by the same governing body above them. I don't think you can imagine two AFL teams trying to get along under the same roof or two English Premier, te- Premier League teams trying to do the same thing either. Yes, it's kind of like in the AFL that the Eagles and the Dockers working together to get uh, one one goal, which is tough to see, so it can obviously it can be hard for people to understand. So it's great that that as could um you know provide that insight 
Um, the last thing that I'll, I'll sort of say from the get-go is the insight into his role in regards to the time that he has to put into the, the specific sort of match day stuff that he has to do within his role, which I think he, he quotes something like 3 a.m. Uh, for finish time once, which gives you a little bit of an insight into what that's like working on a match day at, uh, at not only a cricket match, but also, you know, just in events. So, you know, some serious time goes into these roles, which is, which is good to, good to see, but also <laughs> a bit of a scary one for those wanting to get into fan engagement. So, uh, and of course, not a detractor, might I add, but, um, yeah, great insight nonetheless. Yeah, I think he said he started at 12 p.m. and, and finished at 3 a.m., so a 15-hour day, which uh, sounds pretty rough. But anyway, we'll jump straight into it. So grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Aaron Wharton from the Sydney Sixers. Guys, today we are crossing to our friend in the northern beaches of Sydney, Aaron Wharton from the Sydney Sixers, as I'm probably going to call you as every time in this podcast, but welcome to the SportsCode podcast. Pleasure. You guys are legends for having me on. I've been watching you guys and listening really closely. It's uh, been an incredible show so far and so awesome that you've had so many followers from around the world and you're making such an impact in such a short period of time. So thanks for having me. No worries. We're we're hoping we can uh, throw some heavy-hitting questions at you today, probably more heavy-hitting than I'd say Moses Enriquez is hitting him at the moment for the Sydney Sixers. So, we will head straight into it. Um, so, as we're we're very keen to learn all about the uh, the ins and outs of your role as fan engagement specialist at the Sydney Sixers. Before we do that, though, can you give us a quick overview of your journey to this point so far? I've been involved in the sports industry for about eleven years now, working full time. So, uh, I actually started at nineteen. So, you can probably work out my age. I've been around a, a little bit now. Uh, which has been which has been super cool. Um, but to be to be honest, I've been super fortunate um, to to meet the right people at the right time uh, in my career, and these people have really shown a lot of potential in me, and they've really harnessed that through my journey. So, uh, I started with really humble beginnings. Um, I worked at an indoor sports center in Footscray, and I just really tried my hand at everything. There I was running competitions. Uh, I worked behind the bar. We had birthday parties going on. Uh, and this is where I really developed my love for community engagement. For those that aren't aware of Footscray, and uh, it's a real diverse um, area, um, I found a, a bunch of immigrant kids playing cricket on the side of the road um, opposite our, our centre. I thought this is too good of an opportunity not to grab these kids and, and harness their talent. So I pulled them in. I got them involved um, in a spare spot they've had in our cricket competition there. Um, and really things kind of took off from there. So I began coaching people with a disability. It was one of the programs that we had at the centre. Um, I had no training, no awareness or, or anything really. It's the first time I'd met people with intellectual disabilities and I just got thrown straight into it and, and absolutely loved it. Um, I was, again, fortunate enough to, to really understand my unique factor and to this day I still stick to the, that. And that's really my values, which are um, empathy, and altruism, um, so I can really understand. I feel like I understand Maori groups, and I feel like I'm in a privileged position. But I can give these other people a chance to shine in their lives as well. So I worked that out early days. Um, from there, thing, things really took off. I was really fortunate. Again, I keep using that word fortunate, but it's true. Um, I met Annie Hately at Cricket Victoria. 
and she was the community programs manager at the time um, and she really valued my values, which was awesome. Uh, and she gave me the chance to volunteer on the weekends at Cricket Victoria in her department um, and I juggled full-time work as well. So I was very busy through that uh, through that period and he really invested in me. She upskilled me. Uh, she gave me amazing tasks and opportunities to build into a full-time role at Cricket Victoria, which I wanted. Uh, eventually landed a, a role uh, as part of the 2015 Cricket World Cup uh, and a legacy a pl- a legacy plan around that for Victoria and, and the entire state and cricket, which was super cool um, to work on a worldwide event. Uh, since commencing full-time, I really kept a keen eye on the BBL and WBBL as we were starting at the time and supported both the Renegades and Stars uh, with my time and, and linked to the community groups where I could. Uh, in coming years, I learned to match these practical skills uh, and began studying. Um, I did undergraduate and postgraduate studies with business and sports management at Deakin Uni. Uh, and this period really gave me an opportunity to look outside of cricket and see the bigger picture in, in, in the sporting world. Um, I learned a bunch of new things in the process. I was forced to learn accounting in postgrad from scratch. Um, and it was super challenging, but I ended up with a HD. <laughs> Um, in the subject, so uh, it really shows if you if you put your your mind into something, you can you can really um, achieve something special. Due to my performances at work, which I believe are quite strong, I've been seconded or worked on special projects for the Japanese Cricket Association. I spent a month uh, over in Japan. I spent two weeks in um, the Northern Territory with cricket. Um, Northern Territory had two weeks with the Australian Deaf and Hard of Hearing cricket team at a World Cup in India. And I was sent to America um, to learn all about sponsorship um, with Deakin Uni um, at the University of San Diego. And that just gave me like a broader scope of, of worldwide sport and activation. So this um, experiences, um, set of experiences behind me, I thought, you know, this world is such a, an amazing place. Um, it's too good of an opportunity um, to live in Melbourne my whole life. Um, that's, that's, that's changed it up. So I moved to, moved to Sydney on a bit of a limb, to be honest, and shortly after I met my wife-to-be, um, which is a great story on its own, and, and I joined the Sixers um, working underneath it, a great boss and a really dedicated team. So that's where I'm at today. Fantastic. That that trip to the US is uh, one of the great experiences you can, can get at Deakin and has led to a couple of podcast guests, namely a couple from, from the US that have come out of Ohio University. So uh, awesome to, to hear that you've been on that trip too. Uh, you mentioned that when you were at Cricket Victoria that you did a lot of work with the Renegades and the Stars in the BBL. One of one of the unique aspects of the BBL is that each team is run by their, their state organisation. And in New South Wales, where you are now, there are also two teams. So how do you work with Cricket New South Wales? And is there much crossover with the other Sydney team being the, the Sydney Thunder? This, this is a sensational question. Uh, and really, you know, preparing for this uh, it really forced me to, to look back. And uh, my two experiences have been completely different, um, to be honest, in the way in which Cricket Victoria and Cricket New South Wales um, operate. Um, and I'm not saying um, either one is, is better than the other. And I guess only time will tell um, in terms of on and off field performance. But kind of moving back to, to Cricket Victoria, they, they recently moved to a, a centralised structure and they actually removed many of the Stars and Renegades club resources. Um, and they had a big shake-up uh, and moved a lot of people into the into the broader business. Um, they also removed boards and a lot of the governance structures behind that, um, which is a very different workplace to I find myself in today at the Sixers. Um, 
One, one of the things we really value um, at the Sixes and the broader Creek New South Wales business um, is collaboration. And uh, it isn't a value that's written on a piece of paper or it's set in meetings. It's actually a truly lived and, and challenged value um, that, that we get behind every day. And the best analogy I can think of this is actually given to us by our CEO. And he was um, talking on the back, back of the F1 documentary that you guys may have seen on Netflix, which, which I loved. I love the politics behind that. One of the better Netflix shows out there, I, I reckon. I thoroughly enjoyed it. For for listeners, get onto it. It's one of the great sports docos. Was, I think is it, there's two series, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Two yeah. series about 10 yeah. episodes, so get on it. Two series. Um, one of the big moves is the Daniel Ricciardo one as well and, and how he moves across to a rival team and then that rival team won't sell en- engines to another team. It's just... It's, yeah, a high level of politics and a high level of um, money involved as well. <laughs> um, so I love that. So that, that was the analogy given to us that it's, you know, um, behind the scenes we're one broader team but on the park and um, to, in the fans' minds we're, we're two teams. Um, but I guess delving down to the off-the-field stuff, uh, we're really behind the scenes. We're, we're looking at it as Sixers, Thunder and Creek, New South Wales looking together and really learning from one another, finding ways in which we can save time, efficiencies, energy, money, resources and find a better way to uh, look at the fan-focused outcome at the end of the day. That's, that's what we're, we're here to achieve. We're here to create a funnel of more cricket fans um, for the sport to live for the next 100 years plus. So that, that's our that's our job. Um, to delve into a couple of the projects, uh, there are some projects that we need all three of those bodies to be behind, but there's some that, we, that can be led by one of the bodies uh, or only requires one of the bodies to be involved. Uh, the best example I can, I can think of is uh, our Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander work, uh, and that's a strategy that's behind all, all three, so the Sixers, Thunder and Cricket, New South Wales, and that's because it's relevant for the entire state of New South Wales and, in fact, the whole country. Um, we are equally involved and responsible for this engagement piece. Uh, and we've seen uh, just recently with the January 26 rallies, um, you know, to around the changing the date, uh, how topical these issues are right now. And, and if you're asking me, like, we really need to recognise these First Nations people in our country and really celebrate um, a date as one. If not, I feel like as a nation, we'll be, we'll be poorer for it. So I think we're all kind of getting towards that journey. We've all got our own thoughts. Um, that's one of my personal ones uh, that I thought I'd share. In our Sixers territory, we've got uh, a large portion of LGBT people um, that live in our um, designated area. Um, incredibly, research tells us that 80% of all community sports participants have experienced homophobic or phobic language on the field. Uh, which is inclusive of cricket, so we just can't we can't stand for that. We need to draw the line in the stand, and um, we and and I want to be part of the change using that Sixers vehicle as this you know this big brand, big club that can be on TV in front of millions of people and, and hosting people on game days and engaging kids in our game. Um, we need to make a difference uh, and and stick that out. So um, on the field, things are very different uh, compared to off the field. Um, using that F1 analogy, we're beginning to see a rivalry um, between Sixers and Thunder, uh, both within the players and the fans. And, again, I, I wanted to kind of finalise this this topic by saying there's neither a right or wrong. I'm not 
going to tell the bosses how to, to run their business. Uh, very happy in, in both jobs. And maybe one day, uh, if I have the good fortune to be in, in that seat, um, I'll have my own suggestions to make. But for now, I'm just going to roll with what's happening. As for some of the listeners out there might see your role, you know, fan engagement specialist and sort of wondered what that really consists of. Is Obviously, there's the, the match day element of that. Um, but what's the full sort of scope of, of a fan engagement specialist and, and what's your what's your day-to-day look like from a, from a full scope? Yeah, so there's, there's three main buckets, I suppose, uh, to my role. We've got the fan engagement on the match day, uh, which you mentioned. We've got our own community-led programs, um, which is our LGBT work that we've touched on, uh, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander project work. Also got our charity affiliation with um, Youth Cancer. Um, and lastly is our integration piece with community cricket as well. So there's three big chunky buckets there that, that I essentially look after for the club. Um, in, in a COVID or in a non-COVID year, uh, I would be running our fan zone at home games, um, which is basically all the cool activations that you see outside the ground as, as the fans are, are coming in. So that's things like slides and inflatables and photo booths, uh, performances, giveaways and, and heaps more. And, um, and for the listeners out there, we in, in a normal year, we, we need a heap of volunteers from universities and, and for all um, old people in Sydney and, and Coffs Harbour, which is our other home as well. So um, please do reach out. I'm happy to provide my details. Uh, we will need helpers next year in a hopefully non-COVID world, so I'm more than happy to, uh, to chat to you about your individual wants in your career as well. Uh, we recently created and released our three-year LGBT strategy. Uh, this has many areas that we delve into. Firstly, we've got community participation with rainbow families. Uh, also, we look at education and research with Proud to Play. Um, we, we're looking to attend events like the Mardi Gras and Sydney World Pride. Uh, we've added pronouns to staff emails. That's a lot around inclusive language in the workplace as well. Uh, and I'm super proud to mention that we've actually, well, the research, research tells us that we've created the world's first LGBT supporter group for cricket um, as well, which is um, a big feather in the cap. Uh, in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander area, we're fortunate enough to have some amazing leaders, which people will know from their televisions in Ash Gardner and Dan Christian. But I'm super conscious of leaving all the hard work um, to two shoes. So we play a real supportive role uh, to bring the Sixes and Thunder T20 Cup to life, as well as camps in regional areas for kids to learn the game. Um, and lastly, I mentioned about the community cricket um, integration. That's really just around sixifying um, all that work, all that great work that our community um, staff do at the moment in the schools, the clubs and uh, those community groups that they work with and, and finding links and affiliations to, to the Sixers. Um, this season we've really had to innovate. Posted fan days online. We've moved our school leadership program online. Um, we've set up digital signatures for the fans um, to receive after each game and we've hosted quiz nights on Zoom as well just to keep our fans happy with literally no home games in Sydney this year. Uh, it's been a huge season um, and a huge learning curve for everyone involved um, so far. Aaron, going back to your points around understanding your values, when did you identify them and how they helped you land the job you're in now? So was there a point in an interview where you had to pull them up and that really stood out to the Sydney Sixers? I think this this goes back almost 10 years and, um, I knew that the indoor um, sports centre wasn't going to be my forever job. 
Um, so I started talking to some of the people around me and, and they challenged me to really think about, you know, what's my unique factor? What's my selling point um, when I'm talking to people and what's going to be my guiding principles um, into the future and what's, what's, you know, my true north that I'm never going to move away from. Uh, and the upbringing that I had is that I'm you know, from a white Anglo family. I went to a private school, but I've always been involved in things like church and scouts and um, just community activities and sport. Um, so they really um, helped yeah, define who I was early days in my life. Um, but, yeah, it's something that comes up regularly. And if you're ever going for an interview or um, looking to progress, uh, it always comes up, you know, what are your values? And that's the first question that, that a lot of HR managers ask, you know, what are your values and how do you think they align to our organisation? Um, so I really encourage everyone to consider that as, as probably almost your starting point um, when you're looking at jobs. I think it's a great thing to have handy to, to share, particularly because so many organisations do have values and and often yours can can relate to them. But then also, if you can explain the process that you went through to uncover those values as well, it just shows a, a level of sophistication that you're taking to, to understand yourself and the kind of person you want to be. Aaron, when people think of uh, jobs in sport, they typically look at the, uh, you know, they think of the long hours that uh, can come with the job. For you and your role, what does working on game day look like for you? Yeah, look, game days are big days. Absolutely, we need to acknowledge that. Um, one of the strategies that I actually put in place is, is a lot of mental preparation. Uh, so on a game day, for example, I really like to wake up early. Um, I love to go to the gym. Uh, it's as much about the physical kind of aspect to it as it is the mental. So this is really my time. It's I switched off. Um, I do F45, so it's looking at the screens. I'm not having to think about what exercises um, I need to do. I literally just move my body. Um, I've also taken up golf recently as well. I'm absolutely useless, but it's I find it really good for the mind just to get in the in the zone and have something else to focus on. Um, given I know that I've got such a, a big day and such a large responsibility ahead in charge of you know thirty, forty, fifty thousand people's you know safety and experience, I suppose at, at a venue, um, we really need to get that right. Um, a good example um, I thought of was our, our regional game um, last season at, at Coffs Harbour. Uh, we actually arrived into Coffs Harbour two days before the event and a lot of people say, you know, Coffs Harbour is a, a great place to, to visit and, you know, have a party and sit back and relax, but it wasn't about that at all for us. Um, we're very active in the community and we wanted to ensure that we just didn't come to the town and bring this big circus or the big bash. We wanted to be you know, really active and supportive of the community. Um, so with that in mind, we actually ran an open training session and, and clinic um, for the local people to come down to. We went to the, the big shopping centre in town as well. We took players out there and doing signatures, did a heap of local media around that match. Um, and if we wind back a year, we were also having bushfires in this country as well, some bad ones at that period. Um, so we took the players and our support staff out to a bushfire-affected community. So that's kind of two days out. Um, before a game day we're getting really busy and active uh, in the community Um, on a match day it was training local volunteers um, engaging suppliers um, and just you know delivering as best we can that fan experience um, in a newly redeveloped facility Um, so I'm often managing a team of 10 to 15 volunteers um, checking in with them and doing so many laps of the ground just to make sure everything is, is running smoothly and just being available at all times. Um, there's, there's giveaways happening. There's 
um, people um, with accessible needs on the gate um, and it was, yeah, the first match at that facility as well. So there's a lot of customer service and, um, you know, you're that person, that bright magenta pink shirt and I can't be missed so people come over and, and chat to me. Aaron, on a game day, say you're playing at a typical 7 p.m. time slot, what time would you arrive and what time would you be getting in the car to head home? <laughs> I think about the, the Sydney Smash last year, which I think was the 28th of December, um, and that was you know three or four days out from the test match as well. Um, so there's a, there's a few things to kind of consider there. So... Uh, and we're also raising money for charity that day. So there's a, there's a couple of additional pieces there. But typically, if there's a game on at 7, you're arriving kind of from 12, 1 o'clock. You've got to start briefing all your volunteers. You've got to start physically setting up the fan zone. So it's things like slides and bumping in fences and blowers and um, getting all our supplies, merchandise, you know, food trucks, all those. Just literally getting people in takes quite a substantial amount of time. Um, and yeah, then people start arriving from kind of two or three hours out. So you've got to be on. So before that period, people have got to have breaks. They've got to have food. Um, we've got to make sure that the venue speaks back. And once those gates open, that, that we're ready to go. Um, everyone's hyped up. Um, so yeah, we, we'd go through, you know, the game would start, say at seven o'clock. Uh, often we're doing innings break activations on the field as well. Um, we run some Toyo tires competitions. Um, when I've been involved in the stars, I know they've had a heap of entertainment on during that period. You know, shots for cash from the from the side of the wicket as well. Um, and then post game, it's it's um, in that on that occasion, it was bumping out the the venue um, as well. And it was a late finish anyway because it went to a super over, um, which we got up thanks to Tom Cohn in the end, which was great and just an electric atmosphere. But um, by the time you bump out the SCG for a test match in three days' time, I think I got home about three o'clock in the morning. Um, so it was a it was a huge oh day, yeah. <laughs> wow, I was I was uh, expecting you to say like like midnight or eleven p.m. I was not anticipating three a.m. for for a bump out of a cricket match. Yeah, oh, there was occasions where you can kick back and and have some food and have a couple of drinks, catch up with fans and family and those kind of things. So it's not on your feet for. 11 hours or whatever there is a bit of downtime which is great but by the time you get home it's um it is pretty tiring sounds like closer to 15 hours as well yeah my maths uh, i did get accounting i did get hdn accounting but my maths uh, <laughs> right <laughs> as um i probably met you about four years ago i think when we when I, I sort of first started at ca and one thing that sort of stuck out to me is your ability to have shifted like a number of roles over that time period. What's sort of what were you doing during that time to basically put yourself in the best position possible to to land these roles that you've you've found over the last few years? Yeah, that's that's a that's a huge question. Um, I I believe that that people employ people, and if you ask the right questions, to the right people at the right time, they will show faith in you um, as well. And yeah, I guess at the start of my journey. To be fair, I was probably a bit of a yes man and I just put my hand up to get involved with anything and I really worked out what I like to do. And then once I determined that over a number of years, I just stuck at it and I stuck to my goals and I stuck to my true self. So um, that doesn't mean that you don't have to be adaptable at times and sometimes you get thrown on projects that you may not be the best skilled at or may not have time and, and all those kind of things. But um, it's it's sport, things move quickly. Um, we know that from, from BBL in particular that we've had games 
you know, move around at the last minute this season. We've had flights cancelled. Um, we've been working from home. Um, you just really need to be adaptable and, yeah, stick, stick to those values that I mentioned early on. And um, I'm so happy in my job as well. That's been my number one factor along the way. It's never been about the money or the location or, you know, having a million friends at work. It's being really determined, sticking my head down for my hours, but also having a, a great work-life balance and having a great life outside of work as well, which I think I've got. Aaron, where do you think the future of fan engagement is headed? And, and was there anything in particular that you were looking forward to rolling out this season that, that couldn't go ahead that you, you know, can do again in the future? Definitely digital. Uh, a, lot of it's, a lot of it's moved digital. Uh, I think we've been really fortunate enough to, to adapt on the go, but we've probably progressed a lot of projects four to five years in advance. I mentioned our, our school leadership program. I mean, that was a very, um, a very old school process where we'd literally hand documents to the teachers to present to the kids. But we know kids are used to learning in, uh, in an online um, workspace at the moment as well. So we worked with some education developers to, to completely shift um, our, our program online and it's been really successful so far. Um, and, and look, I think it's going to be a fine balance in the future as well because I think people still want, you know, eye contact with people. They still want to shake hands and, and meet and greet people. So it's going to be a really fine balance. But the beauty of technology is that we've been at like, you think about player appearances, for example. A part of our community is Northern New South Wales and Coffs Harbour. If you were to jump in a car, that's seven hours to take a player up there for an appearance that could go for, for three hours. So that, that's a full day. Um, whereas you can jump on a Zoom call and I can chat to people all around the world and have, probably have a, the same level of impact, um, but in a much shorter time and much much shorter, of, um, much less resource dependent, I suppose as well. And we're able to be smarter and more efficient with our time. So yeah, I just think it'll continue to be a balance. But um, definitely, digital is on the up, and we just need to keep looking at the new trends. You know, what's going to be the new TikTok? What's the new Snapchat? Um, you know, how do we communicate with our clubs? How do we support, you know, support as many fans as we can? And how do we listen to them? I think we might become more of a, a customer focused business, um, as well, you know, continuing to, to host forums for our fans to stick their hand up and say, Hey, we, you know, we want this particular initiative to come in place or we want you to be working with. Um, people with disability or whatever the thing is at the time, I, I feel like our vision is to provide more opportunities to, to get feedback from our fans and members. As if, if you're a, a student today looking to get a start in fan engagement or community engagement, um, what are some things that you do and do you think maybe the best route is the way you sort of went with, with Full Sky Sports Centre going down that path to start with in order to, to get that first in? Definitely stick, stick your hand up. I think local clubs are a great, um, great place to start. Um, we know local sporting clubs, doesn't matter what code it is, they need so many volunteers just to get the players on the park on the weekend, the uniforms. They need treasurers. They need committee members. They need coaches. They need people in the canteen. I just think it's an incredibly humbling experience as well. There's no money that changes hands. Like these clubs uh, often run on, you know, 15, 20K, 30, 30K budgets for the year. Um, so that's a really good place to start. You get a grounding and you'll meet a heap of professional people within your sporting um, club as well. I know I you know, met accountants. I met um, handy, handy men that helped me you know, in my house as well, I'm just doing electrical work and stuff. And it just really 
opens a lot of doors. And, and once you build those relationships, you can start having some of those you know, trickier questions about your, your future career and, and something you never know, like someone may be able to help you um, out of that group as well. So that would be my suggestion. Get involved in your, in your local club. Um, you know, just get studying. Uh, again, get to know your lecturers and it's just – yeah, network. It keeps it probably keeps coming back to the networks and, and, the, and the people that you know. And for me, I've been really fortunate enough, as I said, to meet a lot of great people that have seen potential in me. But that's because I've I've worked hard. I've stuck my hand up, um, and I've done the right thing at the right time. Aaron, if you were a student trying to um, get to where you are now, and you're starting out at a local grassroots club. Would you be putting your hand up for any old role on the committee in the club or is there a specific role that you can envision creating for yourself that would help you get to where you are now quicker? Yeah, it's 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 probably a, a journey. It depends where you're at individually as well. If you're at a stage where you, you want to get in, involved in fan engagement um, and you're, you're living in Victoria, for example, um, a, a great way to start is to, to take your – uh, take hold of one of the junior programs and, and take some families along to the cricket and have that experience. Um, but on the flip side, if you're really not sure about what you want to do, I think any old role in the committee would be fine as well. And, and then maybe year to year, just review that. Um, personally, I did three years um, or three and a half years on my club committee. One year I did juniors, um, one, year, one year I did grant writing, um, and another year I was a senior captain um, as well of the club. So, yeah, there's so many different roles um, and I had all those experiences and some I liked more than others and, and some are pretty political, like being at one of the club captains. The most political role in a club you can possibly find. Particularly <laughs> at thir- third grade uh, yeah. cricket. <laughs> yeah, one of the, probably the biggest one is why isn't the gun third grade player playing ones? I think mean, I mean, that's probably the most common, uh, you know, issue in a club, I'm not sure if you agree, Rubes. You've probably been on the Wycliffe committee. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you for your opinion because you got made captain of the the thirds at a, a Uni Blues when you should have been playing seconds. <laughs> I, I, I think it's probably a different one, but what I what I was going to say is during uh, time at the Mighty Scarborough Sharks, that was absolutely the the number one issue. What? Why is the team that's not losing down in the last grade not playing upper grade? So. Uh, but, yeah, no, I agree. Probably twos was better for me on, on that instance. As we we Part of the podcast, which we love, is sharing the, the good, the bad, the ugly, all in between. So my question for you is what's been your biggest sort of interview or resume or networking kind of stuff up over your career so far? Well, I can't think of an epic one, um, but I've probably got more of an ongoing battle um, in my own mind, and and that's around people's names. I absolutely suck at remembering important people's names, um, and it's a difficult one when you're out and about it at functions, or you know you're at a uni thing, and oh, you see this big wig from the AFL or whatnot, and you want to go say hi, and then you've met them, and you want to add them on LinkedIn to follow up, and you just go blank on their name. Um, so yeah, that's that's an ongoing battle. Um, if you had any advice for me on that, I would definitely take it. I think I've got a, a similar issue. Like I do forget names. So one strategy I've got is when you meet someone, I, I say their name sometimes like to because it's like if I've said it, it's, it's in my head, you know, and I can remember the conversation. I don't know if that works better. Ruben, you, you're, you're laughing. I can see you made some better <laughs> advice. No, I, I, think it, I think it's great. I'm just going to be very aware of it now when I hang out with you. <laughs> 
it's helped, but I think the problem's still there. So I, I wouldn't call it gospel, but yeah, maybe something to try. See, see what I have, to, I have to give it. A, I have to give it a crack. I've, I've tried like remembering people's hat colors or a distinctive feature about them. I've tried a whole host of things, but for some reason it just doesn't click. And it's a skill that I do want to develop, but I'm just not quite there yet. One uh, one interesting tactic that I heard from um, uh, a lady called Jenny Screen, who was the head of strength and conditioning at this um, high performance gym that I did an internship at and who also happened to play basketball for Australia at the Olympics. Her method for remembering names came by associating their name with their shoes. So every time they walked into the gym, she would look at their shoes and it would trigger the name in her head. And so she got to know every single athlete that she worked with very well, but it started with their shoes. So I know when you go to a networking event, there's a lot of black uh, leather shoes, so it might be a bit harder than the uh, the colourful sneakers you might see in the gym, but um, that might help you, Aaron. Mate, I'll give anything a go at this point, so I'm going to take some notes on that. Thank you. Yep. Everyone will remember your is, name, is, Rubes, by the uh, the chestnut Aaron Williams. So that's that's an easy one for those listeners out there. Um, the man wearing the chestnuts is Ruben. So Aaron, is there anyone is there anyone at a networking event who has escaped your mind since that you want us to put a call out to? Oh shit. <laughs> Oh, put me put me on the spot. I hear you guys are trying to get in touch with uh, Manchester City. I'd love to chat with um, someone over there. That'd be nice. I, ca- I can't really think of anyone that comes to mind. I just remember being at some some big events and um, maybe even the, the CEO of the Big Bash might have been at an event back in the day. I think um, she came from Pepsi and I, I think her name is Kim now. I think I've got it in my mind, but at the Kim. time I just drew blank. Yeah, and I wanted to Kim go, Kim would be to go introduce myself. Yeah, she she probably would be. I wanted to go introduce myself and say, "Hey, g'day, uh, you know, g'day. This is, you know, what's your name?" And I'm I'm Aaron, but I just I couldn't um couldn't muster the um the opportunity to go up and, and do that because I just try and blank on a name, even though they um, went and presented it at the start. So there you go. Well, then, uh, it, well, if if you're looking to meet the 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 new sort of head of the big bash, Al Dobson, he he will be listening absolutely. So. You've got that name in, in the bank now, um, so there won't be any issues there. It's all right now because I've met him a couple of times and I know yeah. him reasonably well. Um, he was good. He came up to the WBBL and he, he thanked us all for the incredible effort um, during that time. So he's had, he's had a big year and definitely uh, definitely on name terms with him. Not sure about a few of the other people I've met. If anybody else out there is waiting for a, a message back from, from Aaron, uh, this is your uh, your notification to to hit him up. Go for it. I hope there's not too many out there. My apologies if they are. Aaron, do you have any final advice for grads that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, I really think it's it's finding the courage to ask those tough questions. Uh, I know it's really hard at times, but you need to be real with yourself. Um, make those relationships. Uh, if you really want to get that role, you must ask those questions and, and get the get the answers that you're after, even if it's a, a positive or a negative answer. Um, for example, if you're going for a role in sales, you really need to be able to ask for money. You need to have that skill set. Uh, if you're in community engagement or fan engagement like I am, you need to have the background of you know being a fan or being in that community and, and having that past experience. Um, but overall, just be yourself smile, enjoy the journey. It's incredible. Uh, I've been so fortunate to travel the world um, through a game that I love and I never would have thought I'd do anything like that 11 years ago. So um, it's a journey and I'm loving it. Fantastic. We might leave it there, Aaron. Thank you very much for joining us on the, on the podcast. It's been awesome to hear about your role at Sydney Sixers and the, the, and the diversity of responsibilities that 
that fall within that and the great work that you're doing there too. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, gents. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, listen in and see how you go. Rubes, another great episode there. Um, let's jump straight into some actionable takeaways, which I'm sure if everyone heard our last episode, we, we are adding on to the end of, of each interview that we do. So I'm going to throw to you first of all. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully these help you guys listening to uh, make them a bit more digestible and, and actionable in, in your own situations. But the first one I think that people can learn from Aaron was at the start, he made very clear that he understood his own values and that he'd done some work into articulating his own values and then had used them in interviews to get the jobs that really resonated with him. And I think particularly in a role where he's got such a community-minded or such a range of community-minded responsibilities, understanding his values of uh, empathy and altruism you know, were, were critical for him to do that. So, I think for people at home, one of the first things you can learn from Aaron is to get really clear on, on what your values are because if you can demonstrate that in an interview, it just shows another level of sophistication of your own self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first one I sort of found was, again, going back to that grassroots opportunities point, and I know we harp on about it a lot, but I think as an actual takeaway, I think this uh, sort of at this point in the year, if I was sort of a student out there right now, I'd be pinpointing wh- where is that grassroots opportunity going to come from? And, and when, when are you going to start sort of putting the, the, the things in place to get that role um, or, you know, going on a committee or, or whatever it might be? I think Aaron, again, like he sort of emphasised the point of how important it is to have that experience. So, um, as, a, as an actual takeaway, find that out. When are you going to do that? Put it in the calendar. I'm going to have this done by this date. I'm going to reach out to this club, whatever it might be. Um, just start getting thinking about that and, and start putting some things in place. Yeah, and I think just to to elaborate that on even further as well. If you if you said to Aaron, because this this ties into the next actionable takeaway. If you said to Aaron, "Hey, Aaron, I listened to your episode, and because of your inspiration, I went and joined a grassroots club. I'd now love to apply for the opportunities that you guys have got at the Sixes, which Aaron spoke about during the episode. Then I think you, you're going to catch his attention very very quickly. So. Yes, Aaron, you know, put the word out for helpers and we, we love helping people get jobs in sport. So, for Aaron to bring that up is absolutely awesome. But I think if you want to kind of make that a sure thing, if you showed him that you listened to him to the point where you went out, contacted your grassroots club, create a role for yourself based on what he said and then came to him looking for the opportunity that he's got, I think, you, you know, you're going to be hard-pressed to be turned down by Aaron. Absolutely, I think. Everyone's got their pen and paper ready, Ruse. So that should be top of the list. You're dead right with that. So everybody get involved and, and, and find that opportunity. All right, mate. Well, let's, uh, let's get out of here. Uh, thanks for listening all and uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, team. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your friends or your classmates who also have to figure out all of this sports career stuff. As you can see, this podcast is practically a masterclass and it's free. And you and your circles deserve to have it. So please share it far and wide.
Finally, when you are ready to make sense of tackling jobs in sport, go check out the Sports Grad Method. This is an ebook I wrote based on eight years of trying to get into the sports industry and teaching others how to do it too. All of that is condensed down into a proven process to getting jobs in sport. If you're like me and enjoy things broken out into logical steps, then I think you're going to enjoy it. To get a hold of that, download it from www.sportsgrad.com.au. Thanks again for listening. Chat to you soon.